than your futurist podcast. These guys are really smart. Smarter even than Fox News. Well, thank you, Mr. President, and uh, hello to all of the listeners, and thank you for downloading The Near Futurist, a show presented by me, Guy Clapperton. Today, my guest will be talking about communicating through artificial voices that might not really have been Donald Trump, and how that's evolving. We'll find out more about that in just a minute, but first, a little bit about who you listen to. I'm Guy Clapperton, a technology journalist and media trainer with 30 years' experience. But never mind that. I say that every week. Although I'm recording this at the beginning of October, the first three episodes of this podcast went live on the 30th last year. So you'll be hearing this close to its first birthday, hence the cheesy intro. To the people who've stuck with it since the first few episodes with the background noises because I thought it was a really neat idea to record in cafes, but my microphone more sort of didn't, thank you. To those who've come on board since, and there are now almost two and a half thousand listening regularly, thank you too. And of course, to all the guests, especially those early ones who came on uh, when uh, there were only about uh, 25 people listening in the very early days, thank you all. I wonder if I can get a couple of thousand more by the second birthday. Do have a look at the website at nearfuturist.co.uk where you'll find more episodes, a year's worth actually, and information on what we're about. If you'd like to book me as a speaker or MC for your technology event, do have a look at the showreel on the site and drop me a line, guy at nearfuturist.co.uk. That's nearfuturist as one word. Or get in touch with my agent, whose details are of course also on the site. If you like what you're hearing on this podcast, please do consider leaving a review on the iTunes store or wherever you download from. And if you're new to the show, you're very welcome. That's loads about me, so let's get to my guest for the show. He's Chief Scientific Officer at Siraproc, which is a company that creates text-to-speech solutions for any type of application. It can clone the voices of people suffering from issues that result in voice loss or degradation, such as thyroid cancer and motor neurone disease, or being President of the United States of America, helping them retain the power of speech and communication. He firmly believes that TTS, that text-to-speech, will become universally used across all industries in the near future. Its applications are potentially huge for use on the radio when presenters aren't available at 3am to flight announcements at Gatwick Airport, both of which Seraproc voices already do. In fact, I'm wondering whether I'm strictly necessary for this podcast. However, he's not a fan of where some modern voice technologies are going. His name is Matthew Aylert. Matthew, welcome. Thanks very much. It's great to be on, your, on, the, on the show. Great. Let's, let's kick off by asking about the name Seraproc. Where does that come from? Well, originally what I would tell people is Seraproc stands for cerebral processing, sort of stuck together. And the idea was just to sort of have a name which was sounded kind of a bit techie. But in reality, and I don't think I've ever said this before, it, it came from a dodgy science fiction story I wrote once. And it just sounded like one of those evil corporations that James Bond might be in a James Bond film. Yes. We started off so well, and then we ended up in a hokey science fiction uh, story. That's, that's great. <laughs> okay, so let's get to the meat of the thing. I get an injury or an illness, and communication is difficult. Now, look, we all remember Stephen Hawking, whose synthesizer ended up with an American accent when he was actually British. I, I can't, I can see that we want vocal responses to be faster, but do we really need to imitate people? Because Hawking became very distinctive in his own right. Yeah, I mean, I think in a way that actually is why we need to be able to uh, clone voices. The reason that Hawkins had that voice is because it became his identity to the extent where he never wanted to change that synthesizer, despite the fact that many years after he was using it, the synthesis systems had become much, much better and sounded much more natural. 
the key is that our voice is almost inseparable to who we are. And it's not like reading and writing. We, we don't learn to speak in the same way we learn to read and write. It's, it's part of being a human being. It betrays us emotionally. It shows where we're from. It gives a, long, a, a clear idea of our motivations and the sorts of things that we want to do. But the voice is almost impossible to separate from us as human beings. Right. Okay. So I've run through some of the uh, potential uh, uh, scenarios and uh, thank you to you and your associates for forwarding those to me. Let's not say it came from my intelligence. What specific problems do you see this really fixing this, this technology? The technology itself is very much a component technology. So what we build is something which takes text and then renders it into speech. And it's as simple as that to a certain extent. What complicates is what that voice sounds like, how that voice speaks and the identity of that voice. So when we look at, for example, uh, areas in healthcare like voice replacement, what we're trying to do is, is when someone, for example, is diagnosed with uh, motor neuron disease, they're facing uh, a, a terrible or ordeal in front of them. They're going to lose the power of speech. They're gonna not be able to move. And to be able to copy their voice before that happens, which means that they can then use uh, something called AAC uh, technology, which is uh, all, all alternative and, um, and augmentative communication devices. They can use an eye tracker and they can speak, and they can speak in a similar sort of way that they could speak before. For those individuals, it means that they can feel a sense of communicating with their loved ones in a way that has some significance for them. So that's one big area for voice copying and voice cloning. But also if you look at um, the use of voice, if you, if you look at human beings, we need water, we need food, and then pretty much after that, it's, it's warmth and then maybe social interaction. And if you, social interaction is, is key for us as human beings and speech is key to that process. So if you can produce speech, it means that artificial systems like computers and other technology can also use that power of speech and can interact with human beings on a social level, level either as voice replacement or as in cybernetics or as individual systems that can communicate with people. I've got to say, I could see in the, the wrong hands uh, a lot of scope for fraud there. We started off with uh, <clears throat> a voice that sounded quite a lot like uh, Donald Trump. <clears throat> Isn't there a danger of creating fake news? You could have uh, Trump proposing to Hillary Clinton, for example. I mean, that's extreme, but there must be some downsides to all this. Yeah, well, actually, one of the problems we found with Trump, it was hard to get him to say something that, that was unbelievable because he says a lot of different things. The The issue with the... The cloning is very relevant and I think it's relevant not just in terms of voice but also in terms of video, in terms of text and across our whole media experience. The, the, in, in a way I think what's happening is we're returning to where we were maybe 200 years ago when, when, it, you had to, when someone gave you some information you had to decide who's given it to you and is it true. And we had this brief period where if it was a recording an audio recording or a film recording, we would believe it was true. To a large extent, those days have actually gone already with Photoshop and with editing. The, the fact is, in a way, is that, that none of the media we see is necessarily true unless it's, it's had proper editorial control. I'm just, do you see these uh, things as being potentially useful for uh, criminals? I mean, I'm just, would your systems actually fall a voice print you know, detector, whatever the machine's called? I think voice identification 
by itself would be a, a bad idea because it isn't that difficult. It's hard, but not that difficult to produce voices which will get through various types of voice printing. Academics, I know, have got quite a good, good uh, amount of research working with voice people trying to break their systems and then in turn them trying to fix them. But, but as part of other security systems, it might be okay. In terms of criminals, absolutely. The criminals are willing now in technology to put quite a lot of resources together to try and do things. The thing which is the biggest barrier, and we've already heard rumors of, of people trying to use the voices of other people to try and get information, blagging and things like this, to, so they can then carry out crimes. One of the things which is still very difficult is conversation. So if someone is having to type in to a system to produce the voice, then the delay between response really different and the the fluid sort of conversation you have with someone which has things like disfluencies and everything is still very very hard to duplicate in some respects it only works like with a lot of things with, where you're being deceived it sort of works really if you're not expecting to be deceived so if you think there's no reason why you know the president shouldn't call me up and ask me to do this then yes you're vulnerable to someone pretending to do that i think it's a big problem, and, and as with a lot of technology, as we've seen in the past, there's often a lag between both uh, the ability of justice systems to keep up with the, the, the technological criminal, as well as the law to actually have the right sort of legislation which, which can be used in those cases as well. Can you tell me something about how the speech market is growing in general? I mean, I use a device from a well-known online bookseller, which is just next to me, and I use its name to activate it, so I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I'm not going to name it, uh, but a lot of people call them Alexa. Um, and um, we uh, also there's Google um, Assistant, that sort of thing. Uh, how is the speech market growing in general terms, and is that uh, pulling your particular sort of market through with it? So there's been a massive increase in the use of speech technology, and part of this has come from the big uh, American corporates that have embraced this technology very, very much recently. To a certain extent, it's still open to how and whether or not we need this so much. So there's a, a, an underlying argument from, from companies like Amazon and Google that, that the reason we have these devices is because they're useful and people want them. There's not that much evidence of that. I think more within that area, it came down to the fact that when Google took Siri out of the box and asked it how high Everest was, it didn't show them any adverts from Google. And, and so there's a, it's like a sort of war with these giant corporates trying to control the user with a new type of interface, a new type of technology. But of course, with them getting into the area, the, the explosion in, in the use of this technology and its use for you know, more constructive and positive activities and, and applications, I think is increasing as well. It's also going to change the way people behave to an extent, isn't it? I mean, if I ask at the moment, if I type a, a search into Google, let's say I want to find a I don't know, local dentist, uh, then it's going to show me a large number of them. Whereas if I ask uh, Google Assistant, it's going to reply with one response. Uh, so do you anticipate that people will start to get used to only the one response and that advertisers will have to start getting very canny about how they get to the top of the pile? I'm just wondering whether voice is actually going to impact us in those ways if we start using it as our only interface with a computer. That's a very incisive observation because, of course, one of the whole ideas with Alexa is that if you ask for, you know, let's buy Beyonce's new album, they expect 
to buy it from Amazon, not from iTunes. So mm. in a way, part of the reason that they're so keen on this technology is to be able to control that relationship with the customer. Whereas in a way, the way originally Google became so popular was by giving all those options. If you go back, there was this attempt, you know, you know, many years ago with things like Lycos that used to say, hey, welcome to the internet. Where do you want to shop? And then they would give you, you know, where you wanted to shop. Google destroyed that sort of control by allowing people to see, well, pretty much see whatever's in the top 20. The, the effect of this is, is going to be interesting to see because we, we, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So, for example, when feature phones came out, they would say, here is the internet. So here are some sites specially chosen from you by BT. And people knew that wasn't the internet and they weren't interested in that. So will they allow the systems like Alexa to give them one option? I'm not sure. Sometimes people are very aware that a system or company might be trying to control their actions. When I speak to people who use Alexa, very often the first thing they do is switch off the can you buy anything using Alexa? And the second thing I've noticed is that they mostly use it to do things like switch the radio on or the lights on and so on, which might seem might seem a bit minimal given, given that it probably costs at least a, a, a billion dollars to, to produce this sort of technology, but interesting in terms of how people are actually engaging with this technology. Yes, I think I know an awful lot of people who just use it as a nice-ish speaker uh, and uh, a, a radio that you control by control by your voice. And if you've got it in your bedroom, you just shout out to it to uh, play your favourite radio station. It does it, and they don't do an awful lot else with it. As you say, it's a very, very expensive way for um, um, Amazon and Google and the others who offer competing products to go about it. I'm wondering whether um, this is going to affect the way people express themselves as well. Something that's happened certainly during my 30 years as a journalist is a lot more uh, journalists have been putting queries out to PR people. They've putting, uh, been putting requests out uh, and uh, indeed putting their questions in writing rather than picking up the phone because it's been possible. So there's a generation coming through whose main, uh, uh, whose main means of uh, communication seems to be through the keyboard. I'm wondering whether voice control and voice services are going to make that go away and uh, bring the voice back a bit. We're speculating, I, I, I grant you, but uh, do you think that's likely? I think it will change things. Uh, we've already seen that, for example, with YouTube, where from my generation, if I want to know how to do anything, I generally prefer to read the instructions. And now I actually find that it's almost impossible to, to actually find the, the text. I have to watch a video to tell me how to do it. So this has already changed our ability or our requirement to read. And of course, you can argue that if you don't read much, then maybe it's harder to write as well because you mm. don't learn how to write because you don't read very much. Of course, to a certain extent, when you look at voice, there is this possibility that it brings us back into the into the vocal domain. And, and if you think back, in a way, read you know, the, uh, writing rather destroyed uh, storytelling. You know, there was a, a going back many years, uh, people would. Uh, have an, a, a vocal tradition of telling stories handed down generation to generation. As soon as you wrote those down, people didn't need to remember them anymore. So it sort of changed everything in that respect. And I, I think there's a, a definite case that, that as our relationship with technology and the way we communicate using technology changes, it changes dramatically the way we are creative with it. I mean, certainly my, my parents' generation used to write fairly elegant letters and now I tend to bang out emails, which are, I would say, not even remotely as, as uh, literary and as, as, as elegant. And that's before people of your generation and indeed uh, you know, mine, which I gather are roughly the same. Uh, that's before we actually look at what's happened to our handwriting in the meantime when we haven't actually written the full sentence. 
for about uh, for 10 years or something. Uh, there Absolutely. are, of course, some, I think there are some areas, though, it, uh, it, it becomes easier to learn things with, say, video. Uh, and I think uh, I will not hear a word against YouTube when I couldn't tie a bow tie before. <laughs> actually, you know, you, you, you try writing the instructions on that. You can even draw little pictures. There was no substitute for actually watching someone talking me through it. Uh, no, absolutely. I, I remember using it to get a Velux window out, and I would never have been able to do it based on the the construct the, the, the written description. Yes, so, I, I, I broke my toilet thanks to instructions on YouTube, but we're not going there. Uh, back <laughs> on to the. <laughs> Not all instru instructions are equal, shall we say? Uh, so um, I repaired it later, of course. Uh, so back to um, the market, back to your particular area. Which um, sectors do you see uh, picking up the, uh, the the synthesized voices style of speech? There's a number of areas where we've seen a big, big change. Um, so one area that the certainly entrepreneurs and businesses are very interested in is social robotics. So it's the idea of a, an embodied computer system that that uses voice to communicate with people and these are these are still in a there's a great question about again how these will end up being in maybe another five or six years at the moment we're sort of moving between things like uh like something which you sit on your desk and is used to to a bit like alexa but moves about through to things which are bespoke for say for example um uh, monitoring elderly people if they fall and so on and and, and being used as a sort of way to bridge the gap between the technology that's available and users who are more vulnerable so that's one area where people are doing a lot of work in and, and of course for me that's very exciting because the voice matters a lot in those sorts of applications if i go back uh, 10 years ago the only real commercial market for voice synthesis was call centers that were replacing human beings with with speech recognition and tts and that was that was that was voted the most hated technology of the 20th century by Wired magazine in 2012, I think. And, and I still have to apologize for it whenever I present anything about speech synthesis. So to see speech synthesis being used, for example, in robotics and in, in a social context is really, really interesting. I think also there is this classic question of the only way to communicate really with people is either by text or voice in reality. And so being able to generate media in effect is what synthesis allows you to do. It allows you to take data, turn it into text, and then turn it into voice. And that's something which we'll, we'll see, I think, having a, a greater and greater impact as we go forwards. Yes, it's interesting you pick up the example of elderly people. Um, I have an elderly relative who absolutely loves her uh, her smart speaker, not because it, it well, she does mostly use it as a, a radio and uh, to listen to music, but also the, the, she's got it calibrated to call her son by voice uh, if she has a fall. But uh, so, you know, it'll just put it put her straight through and he can come running, which is terrific. But uh, she, um, what she really likes about it is it's not just an old person's thing. It's not like these panic buttons uh, that uh, you know, I've just designed to, as a reminder hanging around your neck the whole time that you're getting on a bit. It's just an ordinary thing that loads of people use. And I think that's that, that's a very valid uh, way forward. Uh, you, you have mentioned um, uh, that uh, you're uh, unhappy with uh, the idea that uh, some of these services are used to force people into, you know, to control a market effectively. Uh, part of my briefing said that you were unhappy with the way the voice market is progressing at the moment. Uh, can you elaborate on areas you think it should be going into and areas that uh, perhaps it's going into instead? Well, I think one problem from my my perspective as a developer is there is a bit of an obsession with cloning and, and mimicry. So there's this element that 
in my area that if we produce synthesis which is indistinguishable from a human being we're done we're finished we don't need to do anything else and uh you know this caused some controversy a year ago or so when uh, google was, was using their system to phone up to make uh, hairdresser appointments and the person on the other end of the phone couldn't tell that it was an artificial system and this raised a lot of issues about deception about our relationship with technology so to a certain extent, I feel that people should take a step back and, and think a bit more about how we want to, in, to uh, uh, interact with technology. And there's nothing wrong with having voices which don't sound human in the same way as a, a human being. They, they should still be engaging and, and sound, sound natural in, in various ways, but there's no requirement for this obsession with mimicry. So I think that's one problem. I think another problem, and this is something which is sort of in, inevitable with, with the sort of very homogeneous tech sort of um, infrastructure we have in place, is that, that really the Google and, and, and Amazon, they, they, if they could, it would be good if everyone was really the same. Um, and they're not really that committed to producing, say, voices in different accents and so on. We, we do voices in, in like Scottish accents and Irish accents. And, and for some reason in Ireland, they don't really like being told what to do by a posh English voice. I think there's a history thing. Um, and within that element, it's unlikely that the big players will really engage much with accents or with even less resource languages to a certain extent. So, so there's a, a question of how that technology will develop over the in the future because because inevitably if if the dominant players aren't really required to to give that support across minority languages minority access they probably won't and i think that's a, a worry i take that point but as you say they would have to be required uh, these are businesses they're not uh, social enterprises so what can actually be done to fix that i mean other than perhaps legislating and uh, you know are governments really going to try and legislate you know is uh, america really going to legislate so that google understands scots gaelic yeah i mean i think i think it's going to be hard to force it there is they're, they're not against it i mean there is actually a whole group at google that look at minority languages but one example of something that worked really well for us is that the Scottish government were very keen to support Scottish accents in communication aids, and they supported the creation of child Scottish voices. So these are, these are voices which sound like an 11-year-old Scottish girl and boy. And these are really important for children in Scotland who have communication aids because it allows them to express their identity in a Scottish accent at an appropriate age. So by by taking an interest in the technology and seeing how it can potentially be used to support the identity, this also broadens its use in general. And I think if people support the creation of synthesis systems by dialect and across language, with uh, then e even in open source projects and things like that, that that will encourage big players to be maybe less homogeneous in what they offer. You've mentioned uh, contact centres, of course. Uh, they're a bad contact centre is a nightmare, but there is a whole. There are thousands of people working in uh, very professionally set up contact centres that do a good job in help centres and things like that. If I were a contact centre operative, should I be concerned about all this? It's a difficult. Contact centres are in a difficult position already. I mean, when you ring a contact centre, the first thing it normally says is, "Why don't you go to our website rather than be on this contact centre?" So they they're, they're kind of trying to sort of reduce them to a certain extent and of course with with now with everyone having audio on their computers 
you can argue that they they wouldn't even need to use the phone necessarily. So that, that, that's why they're marketing themselves as contact centers, not call centers anymore. Little subtle change. That's there. right. I guess so. Yeah. So so within that, there definitely is a, a, a difference between different providers. Some of them really just want something which will just work, and in some cases, that's appropriate. You know, if you ring up if you ring up a bank, you don't really want it to to give you the your bank balance in a sad voice if you don't have very much money. You'd you'd rather it just gave you the number, right? You don't want to have a, a sort of engaging conversation with it in some sense. In other areas, it, it's more important. And again, this touches on this issue of, of whether people see it as deception or not, as, or, or not. So in some sense, I think what I would say is that what they really need to think about is designing the interaction. And this is something which has been a bit lacking. People have tended just to get the voice in, for off, you know, take it out of a, a box, stick it on their system and off they go. And it, they need to kind of think a bit more about what they want to communicate with people, how the voice needs to interact with them. And that design process can make the difference between something which is frustrating and, and, and seems alienating to something which is engaging and gives, gives people a sense of, of being a customer. So I think that that's something that will change as, as the options increase and the quality of voices increase. You've just given me a lovely image of uh, the bank uh, giving me an automated call if my account slips below 50 quid that uh, starts off, oh, whoa, woe is me, whoa. I think that would be, be a terrific idea. I'd actually look forward to going bankrupt. But maybe, maybe that's not so great. Look, Matthew, this has been terrific. It's really interesting. We could talk about this for a long time, I'm sure, but uh, I'm, uh, we're running short of time. So could I ask you finally uh, where people can find out more about yourself and your organization we're uh, the only uk tts company we're based in edinburgh and if people go to our websites uh, www.seraproc.com i've chosen the word uh, company names that are rather hard to spell but c-e-r-e-p-r-o-c then there's lots of information about what we have and our, our products and also we also have info at seraproc and we do actually respond to info at seraproc i know some people think it sort of goes off into a null void but we, we look at it and the team here are really good at, at getting any queries through to the right people and we're happy to answer any questions about tts we love the, the technology we think it's uh, something that's really interesting to talk about it certainly is matthew ayla of seraproc thank you very much for joining me thank you very much and many thanks to you for listening. That was the Near Futurist podcast, one year old this week, with me, Guy Clapperton. I'll be back in two weeks' time as always, and don't forget to have a look at the website at nearfuturist.co.uk. See you in a fortnight.